Testing. Is that the better? There we go. All right. Um, so before I get into anything here, um, Sheldon, I don't know. Apparently, he doesn't trust Brent to make announcements. Where is he? Oh, Sheldon's not even in here. I was going to make him look really bad. No, I'm kidding. Um, he just asked me to, um, to announce again something with the, the Valentine's Supper that the youth are doing on Friday night. Um, let me make sure I get my notes right. Okay, the youth supper. Formal attire is suggested. It's not required. Arrival time is 6.15. There will be appetizers and stuff then. Then the dinner will be served at 6.45. And then they have games following. All right? So, Sheldon, Erica, did I miss anything? That good? And she'll post, Erica said she'll post on, on the Facebook page as well then. So, okay. So, please sign up for that. Okay, if you have your Bibles um, this morning, thanks to Irvin and Daniel for helping uh, rearrange a little bit here. I have, I have this picture that was in my head while I was studying, and when I get something stuck in my head, it just doesn't really leave. So I was like, well, I'm going to do my best. If it's cheesy, if it doesn't do anything for you, just ignore it. Act like it's not there. Um, but we'll see. I wanna, I'll, I'll show you what the picture that was in my head Hopefully I can do that. So turn to Philippians this morning. Um, Philippians chapter, um, we're going to actually start in chapter 1, but our primary focus is going to be in the first part of Philippians chapter 2. Now as you look at this portion of scripture, this is incredibly popular. I don't know, I think it's probably one of the most preached passages possibly. One of the reasons is it speaks specifically, specifically to the churches. Um, but it's also so practical. Um, the book of Philippians is, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's one of my favorites. I love the way Paul writes. Paul writes in a very, very personal way to the church at, um, here at uh, Philippi in his letter here. Um, so if you're there, I'm going to actually pick up in chapter 1, verse 27, and then we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 11. So Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come, to, come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that are of the, their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection of sim- and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself... By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you've probably a very familiar passage, like I said to you, but the thing that strikes me in the passage, or one of the things, is its practicality, for one, but he deals very um, directly with relationships and the heart motives behind the relationship. So it's a, it's a call for us, I think, at least for me, to take a look inside and what's going on. And the commands that he gives us, and we'll, we'll flesh these out a little bit in, in chapter 2 there, verses 2 to 4, we, I would go so far as to say that they're humanly impossible. Actually, I think I'm pretty sure that that's the case. You cannot do those on your own strength. So, and, in, and in, so in studying this, um, this picture of a bridge came to my mind. And so as we go through this, I'll be writing some stuff up on there on the, on the board, and um, hopefully it'll make sense to you. But the reason I backed up to verse 27 of chapter 1 um, is the first phrase in, chapter, or in verse 27 gives us the purpose of why we should live in unity, as he's talking about in chapter 2. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so at the end, the thing that struck me is we're called to unity, but we're not called to unity simply for the sake of unity. We're called to unity for the sake of the gospel. And so I want to look at that um, just a little bit, the call to unity and why it's important. Um, but I want to spend most of the time is what's the path or the bridge to get there. So if we're called to unity, and I'm going to put unity over on this side, I'm going to write fairly small just for space sake. And so if there's, obviously, if there's to be unity, there's definitely the possibility of non-unity or confusion or whatever you might want to call it. Um, Now, I think there's not one of us here who haven't experienced the dysfunction of this, and we know the pain and the heartache that that brings. And so it it hits really close to home when we start looking um, and talking about what God is calling us to as a church. So the first thing, I'd like to draw your attention to uh, to verse 2 of chapter 1, and we're just going to look at this really quickly here and then move to verses 3 and 4. The unity that Paul calls us to, he says, of the same mind, the same love, one accord, and one mind. So think about, I want to, primarily I'm going to focus on the first and the last um, of those, but the word same and the word one comes through quite a bit. I'm sure we've all heard definitions of what unity is, of what unity isn't. Um, And I think we all get that unity is not necessarily uniformity, right? But unity that he's calling us to here is not a superficial or a surface level sameness. 
It's not being like a football team wearing all the same uniforms. Um, It's not simply all loving the same kind of music when we get to church, the same length of sermon, where if we go over 25 minutes, we open a trap door and swallow up the preacher. Sometimes we should do that, maybe. Nah, I'm just teasing. But it's, we have all these differences in opinions, but those things are all superficial. They're only shallow. They're not very deep. The unity that he's calling us to is a unity that I would say is humanly impossible. And so let's flesh that out a little bit. Um, we heard the last couple weeks already um, talking about renewing our mind and how we do that. The word mind, if, you, if you're following along and paid attention, the word mind shows up in three different places here in a matter of um, three or four verses. Verses 2, it shows up twice, and then again in verse 5. And so I studied, I began looking at the word mind. And I, um, it's actually, this surprised me, it's a verb. As it's used here, it's a verb. So the mind is not simply the thing that you use to think. It's talking about the thinking that you actually do. So it's an activity, it's an action, it's an active mindset, or maybe it's better described, it's an attitude set, an attitude set that you and I have, are called to have. And it carries with it an emphasis on the underlying disposition or attitude, so the motive. And as you, th- so as you think about that, the underlying disposition or attitude This is something that only you can work on, only you can do in your life. You can't do it for anyone else, and no one can do it for you. But you're called to do this, have this mind yourself. So we'll come back to that in a little bit when we get to verse 5. So, verses 3 and 4, and here's where I want to spend a little bit of time on. He starts, he gives us a command in... Verse 3 and verse 4, that should be absolutely overwhelming to you and I. So, first he starts with a negative, and then he gives us a positive. So, let's look at the negative first. The first negative that we see is do nothing from selfish ambition. Some, um, some translations use the word rivalry, and then do nothing out of conceit. So just I want to look at those two um, for just a little bit, and then we'll move to the positive. But the negative, the thing that he tells us we are not to do, if you read chapter 1 before you read chapter 2, I think he's pointing back. He uses these exact words when he, back in verses 15 through 17 when he talks about the people. There were people who were preaching the gospel in verse 15 some out of envy and rivalry, but others of goodwill. The latter do it out of love. And then verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So selfish ambition is probably pretty self-explanatory, right? Doing something for your own gain. Um, striving for position, for recognition, furthering your own agenda. And then the second one, conceit. So these two, technically the same. Conceit um, is the more subtle uh, form that maybe 
we, we fall into much more quickly. Conceit, remember, if you remember last week, Marcus talked about empty self. Um, empty self falls right into this thing, this idea of conceit. It's this self-debasing false form of humility where we just think we're dirt and underlying, underneath that is this longing for someone to come along and tell us that we're not that. Um, it's, it can even have this posture of serving other people, giving and giving of yourself, um, but it, underneath it is this, this desire to be noticed, and when we're not noticed and recognized for what we do, we're upset by it. It's a striving for an empty glory. It's a subtle or possibly even a passive-aggressive aggressive means of gaining recognition or status. So it's a false sense of humility. And it can look like the real thing for a time. But it will always end um, with disunity. So what are the positive, what's the positive command that Paul gives us here? The first one is to... And this is in verse 3. Regard others as more significant than yourselves. I'm just going to put down regard others. And by the way, this over here, it's totally me-centered, and it's absolutely our default mode. This is where we will go every time, unless we're intentional and very, um, yeah, very intentional about not being there. So regarding others, then he tells us we are to serve others. These are all in verse 3 and 4. Serve others and look out for others. So you've got one side that is completely me-centered, and you've got the other side that is completely other-centered. So just really quickly looking at, at those three, um, very briefly, count Regarding others as more significant than yourself has nothing to do with someone's skill or ability or their giftings. It is simply counting another person or others as worthy to be served. And so we're called to serve others. We willing and intentional decision to serve, to stoop down, to go under, and to lift up another. And then to look out for others. Very self-explanatory and yet insanely hard to do. Right? If you find that easy to do, let me know, because I want to know what you're doing. So the question that I was wrestling with and the picture I, that kept coming to my mind is, how do we go from here to here, which is what, exactly what he's calling us to? So I want to, we're going to, I'm a terrible artist, so just bear with me. We're going to build a bridge And the key for this bridge is found in the transition between the negative and the positive command there in chapter 2. It is called humility. Whoops. And I'm going to put up here true humility, not false humility. What's humility? Do you have it? Are you humble? It's one of those elusive, the minute you think you've got it, you probably prove that you don't have it. 
And if you focus on trying to be humble, if I focus on trying to be humble, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be humble, it completely defeats the purpose. So how do we move from here to here, building that bridge of true humility? And Paul spends the rest of this portion giving us an example of what that looks like. Humility is the bridge, or I'm going to call it the attitude set, the mind, the mind of Christ that we're going to be looking at, that we are called, that takes us from being me-centered to being other-centered. It's a humble demeanor to serve others, even at cost to oneself, without which unity will be superficial, shallow, or completely broken down. True humility there's hundreds of definitions and lots and lots of good ones, but in it, maybe in its simplest form is free from the mindset of merit or free from entitlement. Do any of you guys feel or go through life like I do, feeling like you owe me, someone owes me? What, what does it feel like when we can live free from the idea that someone owes me? You owe me this certain kind of response when I see you in the store. And if you don't give me that response, then I'm upset and I wonder, well, what's his problem? What's her problem? You, you owe me, I mean, things to be delivered on time. The mail should be there at 2 o'clock. I, I, I'm owed that. Um, free from the idea that you owe me, free from entitlement. And in that freedom, we find the ability to serve freely. So this is the mindset that we're called to. And so I want to simply, for the the rest of this time, look at verses 5 through 8, which are are very familiar. But let me... Paul gives us just this absolutely incredible example, and I don't think... I think we need to be struck and stunned by the example that Jesus Christ gives us, or I don't think we'll ever come to the place where we can experience true humility. And let me, let me try to show you what I mean there. So verse 5, so back in verse 2, he said we're to have the same mind and of, be of one mind. And then in verse 5, he, he comes and he says, this mind is the one that you are to have, the one that Jesus Christ have. So Jesus came and he gives us an example now, the way this is worded, English professors or English major people here can, could explain this much better than I have, but it's written as an imperative. This is an absolute must for your life and for my life. It's an active, engaged attitude or mindset that Jesus have, and the word as it starts off in verse 5, have this mind, means it's a, an habitual lifestyle that we're called to have. So what was that mind that Jesus had? He spells it out pretty clearly in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Jump down. Actually, let me, let me just read verse 5 and 6. Have this a mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not think, count equality with God as something to be grasped. Um, the message, let me, I'm going to read that verse in, in the message here, because I think he states it really well. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus did, Christ Jesus thought of himself. 
he had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So it wasn't that he just had to hang on to his position, his title, or his, his Godhead. So was he fully God? Absolutely. Was he fully God when he came to earth and lived on the earth? Absolutely he was. But he was fully man. But it says in verse 7, he emptied himself. And here's the mind that I want to focus on, or one of them. The selfless mind. Jesus emptied himself so that he could take on a serving mind. He takes on the serving mind, being in form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Some translations use the word slave in there, and I think that puts it really, really well. Jesus came, the creator of the universe, he came to serve. He came as a slave to his creation. And not only did he empty himself and and put aside his glory when he came, he served us as a slave, and then he went to the cross, the sacrificial mind. The sacrificial mind. Now, the death, his death on the cross is what needs to grip us if we are to build that bridge of true humility. Until we are stunned by God's grace, until we are stunned that the one who owed us nothing gave us everything. Remember that the definition of humility is free from entitlement. We're not owed anything. And what we were actually owed was hell, was punishment, eternal punishment. And Jesus took that for you and for I, for us, for I, for both, all of us. And so the one who owed us everything, owed us nothing, gave us everything. Now, if you look at the mind of Christ and the, the posture of the mind of Christ, it stooped and it stooped, it came down and it came down and it came down. That is what true humility looks like. Now, the problem with something like this, it all, they always break down. You can, you can take an analogy so far, then they always break down. But I'm going to try to take it one more step. This is... This is where my mind went. So, Jesus began. He left heaven as, and he emptied himself of his glory to come down to earth to serve us and then to die for us on the cross. Now, if we put ourselves over on this side, I'm going to suggest that we start where Jesus ended here at the cross and we die to self. That has to be, become a part of our life because, and then we, we take on the serving mind. Whoops. The serving mind, and then we take on the sacrificial mindset. 
Now, we can do, we can serve others, we can sacrifice for others, but unless we start here at the foot of the cross, we're going to burn out, and it's going to be superficial, and it's going to be shallow. Because at the foot of the cross, it's level ground. It's level ground for every one of us. It doesn't matter what your abilities, what your skills are, it's all level ground. And we get the correct picture of ourselves when we see what Jesus did and we come to the foot of the cross and we lay down ourselves and we give up ourselves for the sake of others. And then we can serve. We can reach out and serve with true humility. We can reach out and serve in true sacrifice, giving ourselves for the sake of others. So that's the bridge right there, the bridge that I had in my mind. If it does nothing for you, like I said, just forget about it. Act like it's not there. But one thing I want you to think about, or this is where I was struck, is this bridge is one that only you can build. No one can build it for you. Putting on this attitude or this mindset of Jesus Christ requires us to look deep within ourselves and be intentional about building that bridge. It's not going to build itself, for sure. And what's easy for us to do is we look at that, we look at being selfless, serving, being sacrificial, and we can look at other people and say, boy, they sure could use that, right? We can see other people who don't do that. Think about, even if you're in a marriage, what if you had a big argument with your wife, and man, I'm right, she's wrong, all right, and I'm not going to give up. Um, And we can see the failure or the, the lack of this in other people's lives so quickly, but that's not what we're called to do. We're called to look within ourselves because no one can build that bridge for you, and you cannot build it for anyone else either. Now, does it mean if you build this bridge, if you live in this true humility, as he, he shows us in, in 5 through 7 here, if you live in that, will it always be reciprocated in relationship? Will it always come back And work out. So, what I'm trying to say is, I can't control what anyone else does or thinks. And I, I preach this at home. Um, simply, I, I, tell, I tell our kids if you mess up, that's okay. Just own it. No excuses, no trying to explain it away. It's all right. Just own it. And I think this is what we're called to do. We. So easily when we look in ourselves and we see where we messed up, we recognize it, but then we try to explain it away and we try to give all these reasons and make an excuse for why we did it. So just because you do that does not mean someone else will do it in return. Um, That is not what we're to be concerned with. We are to be concerned with what's going on in our own hearts and in our own minds because when we... Uh, I'm going to skip that. Um, so just, just I'm going to wrap this thing up real quick here. So to build your own bridge, so build your own bridge for one, put on the mind of Christ. So how are you going to do that? What's that going to look like? 
How are you going to actually make this a part of your life in the next week? Um, and so, think back. I don't know who all was here last Sunday. But last Sunday, Marcus had to sit here for a minute thinking about, we could look at, at serving, how we can give. Who's someone that we can give to? Because unless we put actual put, um, put some effort into this, it's not going to happen on its own. So as you thought about that last, last week, for a minute, you sat there and you thought, who can you serve, who can you give to in this next week? And then the other one was, um, and this is sacrificial, not to others maybe necessarily, but as a discipline, um, what are you going to give up? What spiritual discipline are you going to develop in, this, in the next week was the question that we were asked. So, how did you do? Well, I had this, I had in my mind what I was going to do. Well, a Monday morning hit. And it was a rotten Monday morning. So, the discipline that I had committed myself to doing, it fell flat on its face. So what I'm going to challenge you to do again is whatever that God had brought to your mind last week in that sermon. Because we're talking about renewing our mind. We're talking about taking on the mind of Christ. We have to be intentional about it. It's not just going to happen. And so what was the action that you were going to take last week that was going to put on the mind of Christ in this last week? Can you do it for another week? Or if you're like me and you blew it, can you start over and do it again in this next week? One thing to start putting on the mind of Christ in your life. It's a discipline that you're going to have to put into practice because it's not going to build itself. <clears throat> that's, that's all I have this morning. Um, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're not going to have a song at the end of the service. I'm just going to invite you to stand. We'll have dismissal prayer Thanks for your attention this morning. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. And think about the discipline that you want to bring into your life this week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the wonderful example that you give us in Scripture about having the attitude or the mindset that you're calling us to, God. You showed us the way. You didn't just tell us, do this, but you actually came and you showed us how to do it. So God, help us to be intentional in what we're going to do um, to allow you to change us from the inside out. Because we can start from the outside and work, try to work our way in, but it'll always fall short. We'll always end up frustrated. So we ask God this morning that as we go into this next week, that we will allow you to do your work in us changing us one step at a time, making us more like you so that we can take on the mind of Christ and live in that kind of a mindset. Dismiss us, God, with your blessing. Bless each person that was here this morning. And I pray for those who are not here um, due to sickness. There's lots of sickness going around. I pray that you touch those that are sick this morning with your healing hand. Dismiss us with your blessing. In your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.